What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the CC Delco podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where we aim to go deeper than we can on a Sunday morning on a wide variety of topics. Today's episode is with our senior pastor, Bob Gaglione, and he is interviewing Ken Ham, the CEO of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum. Ken Ham recently spoke at CC Delco, his message titled, The Relevance of Genesis in a Divided Nation. And so this conversation kind of just goes deeper on what Ken talked about. We're going to pick his brain. Uh, pastor Bob loves apologetics. So this is a really great conversation between two of these guys. So sit back, listen up, and be blessed. I'm Pastor Bob Gaglione, and I am so excited to be joined by Ken Ham. Ken Ham is uh, the founder of Answers in Genesis. He's authored over 36 books, one of the leading apologists of our day, not only in creationism, but uh, in the Bible, and also leads the Creation Institute and ARC experience in the greater Kentucky area. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Hi, it's great to be with you. Yeah. So uh, Ken spoke at our services today. We thought we'd go a little deeper on this podcast. And Ken, you've been in the ministry a long, long time, and uh, you brought out some data that we're, you know, we're seeing across the board is that, you know, the church is in decline in America. We heard about this for years. We looked at England and the rest of the West. People said it would happen to us, and it has. I know one of your latest books now is how, you know, we're going to have to raise up a generation of uh, Davids to fight this Goliath. So why don't we just jump in and why don't you talk a little bit about what God's put on your heart? Well, you know, one of the things that I think has happened is that the older generations, you know, statisticians divide uh, generations into particular groups depending on when they were born. But the greatest generation, born before 1928, and then you have the silent and then the baby boomers. I'm in the baby boomers generation. We grew up in more of a Christianized Western culture, you know, where we knew what was right and what was wrong. Uh, marriage was a man and a woman right. because of the Judeo-Christian ethic that really permeated the West. And in America, the founding fathers, most of them were Christians. Right. And even those that weren't still had that Judeo-Christian ethic. But I think what a lot of the older generation haven't realized is that, for instance, 90, 95% of kids from church homes go to the public education system. I know there's been some teachers in there as missionaries in the system, yes. and I understand that, and they need our prayers. But overall, the system by and large has thrown Christianity out and replaced it with the religion of naturalism to explain everything by natural processes, which means it's really atheism and evolution has taught us fact and so on. And so the younger generations have been really indoctrinated in more of a secular worldview. You know, the older generation would say, well, we went to the public school system and that didn't happen to us. But it's become much more antagonistic to Christianity. Yeah, so Ken, would you say it's fair? Like, you know, obviously we're a second-generation Calvary Chapel, but the, even the Jesus movement um, in the late 60s uh, predated God being totally expelled from the public arena. And I would still argue that even those those hippies getting radically saved, they still at their core, probably at their foundation when they were younger— held to a biblical worldview. So when we talk about revival today, um, yeah, we all want God to break through, but but we're losing that undergirding, right? We are. And, you know, I, I put it another way, and I do this in one of the books. Really what's happened is if, if you compare 
Peter's presentation of the gospel in Acts 2 to the Jews and Paul's presentation of the gospel in Acts 17 to the Greeks, when Peter went to the Jews, he said, you know, you crucified the Son of God, you nailed him on the cross. The Jews believed in the writings of Moses, by and large, and so they knew what sin was and they knew about the promise of the Messiah and so on. Their stumbling block was uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians one twenty three says we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, but to the Greeks it was foolishness. When when Peter preached, thousands were converted. And that reminds me of the older generations yeah. and the crusades of the past and the Billy Graham crusades and so on. But when Paul went to the Greeks and preached the same basic message about Jesus and the resurrection, it was foolishness to them. Yeah. And so what Paul did was to have to start at the beginning to find and define who God is. The God who created the world and everything in it. Everything in it and lay that foundation so they would understand. What I'm saying is this. In generations past, our culture was more like the Jews. Now it's become much more like the Greeks. The trouble is a lot of Christians have still been approaching it as if it's like the Jews when it's changed fundamentally from the foundation so that we have generations that have been indoctrinated against the Bible. And a, a part of the problem is that we haven't been teaching answers to what they've been taught in the secular education system and through the media. And so they have been captured by the world. And then they have this foundation uh, that's different to God's word and more of a secular worldview. And in the end, they end up walking away from the church. This has been happening over the years. And, you know, even some of the greats of the past, some of the great evangelists and great Bible teachers of the past, you know, would teach the gap theory. Yeah. You know, I think of even Dake. Jake, uh, Dake's yeah. annotated reference <laughs> Bible and Schofield reference yeah. Bible. I think of J. Vernon McGee, who changed from that because of the impact of the modern creationist movement towards the end of his life. But, but even when they did that, they didn't realize, I believe, what was happening. They were, they were sort of saying, you can believe in millions of years, we'll put in a gap here. Right. But it was actually a, a, a sort of unlocking a, a door to undermine the authority of the yeah. word of God. They were trying to appeal to the academics and they were mm-hmm. actually uh, doing a disservice. So, Ken, uh, I think you're an evangelism at heart. That's my view. Mm-hmm. And we're all trying to lead people to Christ. So you always talk about the foundation being the word of God, that if we that if we get into arguments, if I'm sitting on an airplane and I try and debate um, gender or gay marriage, you know, we're going to have a clash of worldviews. So we have to talk about the world, the word of God. Is Genesis, is the creation a good jumping off place when we're trying to teach people about God or the Bible? Well, you know, God has revealed to us his written word and he starts at Genesis 1-1, you know, in the beginning God created. And really, if you think about it, that first verse affects everything else in the Bible. Exactly. If that verse is not true, yeah. nothing else is true. And if there is a God who created us, it means he owns us. And if this really is his word, then we need to listen to what he says about us and who we are, what our problem is, and uh, also uh, what the solution is in uh, in Christ. And so therein, therein lies the issue. You, as, as you talk to people... What I like to do is to find out where they're at in regard to why they think the way they do. Because if you're going to talk about gender and you're going to talk about marriage and so on, it's going to be an immediate clash because we have very different worldviews. But to find out why do you think the way that you do? And I always like to talk to them about, well, I'm a Christian. I, I start with a Bible. Invariably, 
they will um, they will say, you know, well, I, I don't believe the Bible or, yeah. you know. I, I remember a, a guy come up to me at a conference and he said, I'm a homosexual and I believe in gay marriage. What are you going to do about that? And I said, well, can I tell you why I believe the way I do? I See, I start from the Bible. I don't believe the Bible, he said. I said, you don't believe the Bible? Well, okay, that's good. Good good place to start. Not that's good that you don't believe the Bible. That's right. a good place to start. I said, um, can you tell me why you don't believe the Bible? Well, you know, he said, because of science. Said, well, can you give me something from science? And so I got him into a discussion of trying to deal with that and give him answers. Well, carbon dating. Well, let me answer that for you. Well, what about the ape man? Well, let me answer that. Well, the Bible's a book of mythology. Well, how do you know that? Well, yeah. you know, it's got contradictions. Name one. And usually they can't. Uh, and, and answered him. And then finally I said, you know what? I've answered as many questions as I can. Can I now explain to you if the Bible is God's word, and I believe it is, then this is why I believe the way I do. And was then able to present the gospel, which is the whole point of it all. Faith yeah. comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And, and actually, if, if you wanted me to sum up the way in which I see witnessing to people it would be using the analogy of Jesus coming to the tomb of Lazarus. He comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he says, move the stone away. Mm. Now, he could have moved the stone with a word. Yeah. But what you can do, you do. Moving the stone away to me is answering the questions, us doing what we can do. But then what we couldn't do, Jesus did. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Yeah. So we've got to do all we can to, re to move the stone away and point them to the word that raises the dead because yeah. non-Christians are dead in trespasses and sin. Yeah, I was raised Catholic and uh, there was a mini-series on about the end of the world and there was a gentleman there who said, this isn't the way it's going to happen. And I'm like, what? And he said, have you ever read the Bible? And I went to 12 years of Catholic school and realized, no, I've never read the Bible. So I think what you're saying is true. He opened the door mm -hmm to my curiosity and was never antagonistic and just began to show me things. And then God draws. So that, that's a beautiful analogy. Uh, so Ken, when, when we look at, um, creation and you've given your life to this, um, we have another side of the church called intelligent design or those that would disagree with the seven days of creation. And, how do you view that? Do you view it like we're all on the same team? We're all fighting the same battle? You know, I personally believe in seven literal days. I think when you start moving away from that, you undo the foundation. But but we do have people we know are believers, and they're trying to get the same message out through intelligent design. Can you speak to listeners on that topic? Sure. Um, you know, I believe intelligent in intelligent design. I know you do. But... <laughs> The intelligent design movement, I do have a problem with. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. You see, what they're saying is, look, we can look at the creation and see that there's a designer. But here's the problem. We can look at the creation and we see mutations, we see evil things, we see death, we see horrible things. So is that designer responsible for all that? Is that designer an ogre? You see, for me as a Christian... Intelligent design means, yes, when I look at DNA, when I look at the complexity of life, I see that there obviously has to be an intelligence behind it. DNA is an information system and a language system. But I never want to divorce the creation from the creator's word yeah. because if we don't understand his word, 
we will not understand that this is a fallen creation because of our sin. And it is true, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's God's word that's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's God's word that will not return unto him void. So uh, I use intelligent design arguments, but in the context of dealing with God's word to understand who that creator is. He's not just some unknown intelligence. It's the God of the Bible and to understand what he has told us has happened to his once very good creation. And then in regard to the the days of creation, here's the bottom line. We need to take God at his word. And when we take the Hebrew word yom, as it's given in Genesis 1, qualify the evening, morning, number, and, and for the first day, night. So redundant. It always means, yes, it is. Yeah. It always means an ordinary day. The reason people don't believe in, in the seven days is because they're impacted by the millions of years mm-hmm. and they're trying to reinterpret yeah. Scripture. I just taught the Ten Commandments and, you know, the Sabbath, six days you shall work, the seventh shall, you shall rest. Why? Because on six days the Lord, like, like the redundancy is just over and over. And it's yeah, in fact, undeniable. you know the question we should be asking? Why did God take so long? <laughs> I mean, yeah. he could have made everything exactly. in six seconds yeah. or one second. Mm-hmm. He's the creator. He can do anything. He's infinite creator. He took six days with one day rest as a pattern for us. It's where our seven-day week comes from, as yeah. you said. Exodus 20, verse 11, right. the basis of the fourth commandment. Yeah, it makes no sense any other way. So, Ken, I really believe your legacy, and this is just my opinion, I don't know, I don't know if you share it, will be the creation museum and the ark experience i remember the first time i met you i was just flabbergasted i'd already seen pictures and read about it and i asked you this question how did you do this in one lifetime i mean it is stellar it rivals any secular experience and like you always say there's nothing like it in the world give us the the impetus of the dream and why i mean you could add an easier life by lecturing and writing books and I know what it's like to lead on a small level. I can't imagine. I mean, you have two theme parks you're leading now, <laughs> staff and all that. Why did you leverage everything? What What was the impetus behind that? You know, it's interesting. The vision for the Creation Museum really goes back to my school teaching days in Australia in the 70s. Began school teaching in 75. And seeing that my students were really affected by what was in their textbooks about evolution of millions of years. And I took them to museums and they're always from an atheistic perspective. And I actually cried out to the Lord, why can't we have a creation museum? Why it used can't, to drive me crazy. You know, why, why can't Christians build a museum yeah. that presents the truth of God's word in Genesis and answers all these questions about fossils and all the rest of it? And so that burden, all I can say is that burden intensified. And in 1980, I and one of the board members that helped me start the ministry in our house stood on a piece of property in Australia and said, Lord, would you let us build a creation museum? Wow. And, you know, God answered that prayer, but many years later in Kentucky. So yeah. <laughs> his ways are not our ways, right? Yeah. But there's a long journey there. It's also a journey of faith. You know, r- right from the beginning, I, I left school teaching. My wife and I are together. She's always supported me a million percent, never questioned the ministry and always been a part of it. And we stepped out in faith with just asking people, would you support us if we did this? And they said, a lot of them said, yes, we, we weren't guaranteed anything. And as time has gone on, there's been bigger and bigger steps of faith. You know, there's a scripture that says, without faith, it is impossible to, to, to please God, um, to come to God. Um, it, it, because God wants us to have that faith, and yet he gives us the ability to have that faith. And so I believe it's also been a journey of faith. And it's also the, the way in which my I saw my parents 
and my father defend the Christian faith. And he, he reminds me of Nehemiah. You know how it talks about Nehemiah was, was angry? It wasn't a sinful anger. It was a righteous anger. Yeah. Why doesn't someone do something about that? And I saw my father as we went you know, to little country towns and the pastor was liberal and he was saying, we need to do something about this. We need to change the Sunday school material. We need to reach kids with the truth of God's word so they would bring in missionaries to do it. That all impacted me. And my father was uh, researching liberal theologians to teach us answers so that we wouldn't be led astray by the liberal theology. And so I think that my father instilled in me that Nehemiah anger. You know, why doesn't somebody do something? It's like, why can't we have a creation museum? Why can't we do this? I believe God has also called me to do this. And it's been a long journey and we've had a lot of valleys to go through and battles and court cases and <laughs> atheists fighting us. And I tell you, looking back on it, you know, what it reminds me of in some ways. I, I, I say to people, you've got to have a long-term view too. Exactly. I think sometimes Christians yeah, I, I see it today even, them saying, look, things are getting worse and worse. As the Bible says, Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. There's not much point in doing anything. Right. Well, people were saying that to me before we built the creation exactly, museum. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look on what God said to the Israelites. You're going to go and conquer the promised land little by little. You're not going to do it all at once. It's got to be little by little. And so you've got to be prepared to do it little by little and to to, to recognize that, when something happens, like, you know, we lost uh, the zoning for a piece of property for the Creation Museum because of what the atheists did, that I didn't just roll over and say, well, God's got a better plan for yeah. us. And so stepping out of faith, and we ended up with a far better piece of property. And then you look at the Israelites conquering the Promised Land. They had to battle Jericho. Exactly. They had to battle AI. Yeah. They had to battle the giants. Think of all that. And I've always thought, I don't want to be like like the Israelites who saw the sons of Anak and got frightened and then they didn't go onto the promised land. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb and know that God's on our side. So we're just going to move ahead and do this. And that's yeah, what I, I, I think for anybody listening, it's, you know, it's the same for me, right? People come to our church, they see a restaurant here, they see a school, they oh, see it's a beautiful, facility. beautiful facility. We started with eight people in the Bible study. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, a men's retreat was eight guys at Howard Johnson's, but nobody sees the day of small things. So, right. Uh, what's the future of those two experiences, the Ark Experience and Creation Museum? Like, like, do you have more dreams, more, you know? Well, um, you know, I, I look at my life. I mean, I was born in 1951, so I'm starting to <laughs> get to that big 7-0 yeah. and uh, thinking about, you know, the future. And people ask me if I'm going to retire, and I say, well, Moses retired the day he died. <laughs> uh, and as long as I've got strength and and breath, I will keep doing what God's called me to do, and that's what I believe He's called me to do. But um, yeah, for the Creation Museum, you know, uh, our eldest daughter actually had a burden to start a Christian school, and it's called Twelve Stones Christian. I Academy. remember you explained that to me. And yeah. uh, she wrote a chapter in my new book, "Will They Stand?" Because of her burden to raise up generations with a yeah. Christian worldview. So I wonder. I wonder. Right now, we're renting facilities for that. Uh, so. At the Creation Museum, mm. I've always had a burden to have a children's museum. That's, oh. And we, we can kill two birds with one stone. So we have a place where we could build a building to put our offices in, and that could house our Christian school. And then uh, all the offices that are behind the Creation Museum turn it into a children's museum as really part of the Creation great Museum. Idea. So that's my burden for there. That's a really great idea. And then 
down at the Ark Encounter, um, we've got a master plan that involves a lot of things for the future, but two things I would love to see uh, completed. And uh, one is we want to build uh, life-size uh, Solomon's Temple. Oh, my goodness. And because that can be used to explain the gospel. Have you been to the one in Elot um, down in way south in Israel? The only, we, we used to do an out-of-Egypt tour, and as soon as you come over the border, about a half hour in, the Germans built a life-size tabernacle. Oh, is that uh, right? No, I haven't seen right that Right in one. the Sinai Peninsula. I mean, it is we, breathtaking. We've actually got... No, we'll have to go and look at that one. And then we have one out here in Lancaster. I'm not sure it's to, no, to it's scale. Not, it's, it's not yeah, to scale. Yeah. We want to build one to scale yeah. with the whole thing to explain My goodness. the whole system. That and then be. the other thing uh, that I want to see done is a Tower of Babel. Because mm. um, people ask me when that's going to be done, and I say, <laughs> well, it'll never be finished, right? Is that going to be the scale? <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, we want to do that because I think um, we can use that too. To we, we already deal with the race issue in the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter and various yeah. exhibits, but I'd like to deal with that to even a bigger extent uh, and uh, for, to build a Tower of Babel. So, you know, we have other ideas as well, but they're the things that I think uh, could take quite a number of years to get yeah. all that done. Um, but, you know, you got to have – we're not without vision. Uh, so – it's just a matter of stepping out in faith. And, you know, it's interesting, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, I mean, when you look at those places, probably together, um, valued at over a, a quarter of a billion dollars, mm-hmm. uh, and yet we started with nothing, Yeah. and we live on the edge exactly. every day. And, I'm and sure COVID hasn't same, helped, right? COVID hasn't. Well, yeah. that was we had to be shut down for three yeah. months. And yet God miraculously preserved the ministry through donors who stepped up to the plate and you know we weren't sure what was going to happen but uh, again we saw god's miraculous provision and uh, we know that he's preserved the ministry we i I look on it as look we need to put the message in stone for the future generations and that's sort of what we're doing putting it in stone with all the exhibits and the media, the secular media, have been absolutely amazed at uh, how professional and first class incredible. these are because they're better than what you see at Disney. And other I, I was there in December, yeah. and you had—I could see—I was in your back office and saw those algorithms. I think you had sixteen thousand visitors on a cold December day in the middle of the week, and I can't even picture what a summer day must look oh, like. Oh, it, it, it's amazing! And uh, you know, the secular media have often said to me. How did you find all these people? You know, the artists, the designers, the sculptors, because we do everything pretty well in house. We have our own design studio. And then all the other staff. I mean, it's got a whole range of stuff. When you think of electricians and plumbers and engineers and our research scientists and our housekeeping and our security, and you, you look at all that, and they all have to sign our statement of faith. And you know what my answer is to the media? They say, How did you find all these people? I say, Well, to be honest, we didn't. It's sort of like Noah. I was he just didn't have to say, go out and get the animals. God brought them to him. People say to me, how did the penguin get on the ark? And I'm like, uh, well, pretty sure God brought all the animals. He brought the animals. And we would say there was only one continent originally, actually. That's another, like, yeah, we could get into all that. We could. We could really get into that. podcast, yeah. yeah. So, Ken, let's end on race because you brought it up. And I think in the last year, uh, outside of COVID, race just boiled over here in America. Um, I love your book, One One Blood, One Race. Can we end on that? Can you just give us a little, just a little synopsis? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, if we're going to deal with the issue of race, 
we have to have the right history of the human race. And the right history of the human race comes from the Bible. And until we understand we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, so biologically we're all one race, we can't even begin to deal with issues of racism, prejudice, until we understand the account of the Tower of Babel that God gave different languages. That's why we have different nations and cultures. It's interesting. We have um, some a lot of confirming evidence, too, uh, when it comes down to apologetics, defending the Christian faith. In the year 2000, the Human Genome Project was led by an atheist. They collected uh, information um, from people, genes, uh, from people all over the world, um, and they mapped the human genome. And one of the things they stated was in the New York Times. Yeah. They found there's only one race, the human race. Yeah, I think they, they – and they said there was a, a man and a woman, right? Oh, and, and when you trace the Y chromosome uh, through the male, you really come back to – you know, we have to go back to, well, the biblical history of one man. Yeah. And the mitochondrial DNA uh, itself, all that shows that there's a short history – of mankind, a very short history, and that we go back to one man and one woman. And so when it comes to issues of racism and prejudice, you know, to know that we're all one race, one family, that's not to say there hasn't been racism. There has been racism. When people have the wrong foundation, they will have the wrong worldview. Exactly. You know, Hitler used evolution to justify what he did to the Jews yeah. and others. Margaret Sanger used evolution to found Planned Parenthood, yeah. actually. And if we're going to deal with racism and prejudice, what we have to do is understand we're all related. We're all one family. We're all equal in value. We have different roles and we have different talents, but equal in value mm -hmm. uh, before the Lord. And, you know, I look on it this way that, you know, when it comes to issues, even when it comes to issues like reparations, right, how, how should we as Christians think about it? Here's how I think about it. The greatest injustice of all was when we rebelled against our Creator who mm -hmm. made us in Adam and sinned against Him. Can we pay reparations to God for what we did? And the answer is no. No. But He paid it for us. Yeah. And isn't that the example, you know, that like He taught us in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's how we should act as Christians yeah. and recognize God paid reparations for us. We don't deserve. Shouldn't that be a basis of how I treat others and to love my neighbor as myself? Yeah, I love how that just permeates through your ministry. Even even the ark, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. First time grace appears in the Bible, so we serve a God of grace. And Jesus said the last days would be like the days of Noah. And Peter said, you know, scoffers will come. So... I always say God's building an ark. There's been more taught on prophecy in the last 50 years in the history of the church, but you've built a real ark, and I pray that millions come and see it and find faith. Ken, thanks for your ministry. Uh, you're one of the giants, and I pray the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro and finding people like you for the next generation. Hey, thanks for your encouragement, and we will continue to do what Jesus told us, and that is engage in business until he comes. That's right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, head to ccdelco.com to stay up to date with all of our sermons, our resources, all the events that are going on at Calvary Chapel of Delaware County. We'll see you in our next episode and we pray that you're blessed this week.